Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC football. A little more optimism each and every week that there's going to be a college football season. So we'll talk about some of that, some of the news that's been going on in the last week or so since last we talked to you here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber and Keely Yor uh, talking on the show along with myself. So we'll bring you that regular Dan pod that we like to do. Every Tuesday, if you have any questions or comments for the show, we always like to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. You could also call or text us at 424-254-9141. And please subscribe on all the different podcasting platforms, but especially on Apple Podcasts. If you want to leave some uh, positive reviews, a five-star rating, we love that. We'll love to read them on the show. If you have any questions, we'll put you right to the top of the queue if you want to leave them uh, as a review in the review form on our Apple podcast. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad, just look for the Apple podcasting app. You can leave a five-star review there. We do really appreciate that. And we do appreciate Keely Yor, who is on the line right now. Keely, how are you? Hello, hello. Doing well. A good Memorial Day. Nice, relaxing, and we're back at it on a Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know about relaxing this Memorial Day for me, <laughs> but that's good if you were relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I tried to get some exercise in, had had some people coming over to our uh, driveway and everyone kind of brought food and just kind of hung out six feet apart in our driveway and maybe had a few too many adult beverages. But I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to work now. It's kind of needed a long weekend to recover from the long weekend, but we don't have that. We're just going to get back <laughs> into it, though. Yeah. Uh, we got Dan Weber on the line, too. What's up, Dan? How are you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, uh, having a little trouble distinguishing the holidays from the non-holidays or the uh, weekends from the weekdays uh, right now. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, it's Tuesday, right? Is that it is. okay? <laughs> it is Tuesday. It was hard. I was trying to pick it, put it together. Like I have my like workout schedule that I'll do in the mornings, like Zoom workouts and. I didn't do the Monday one and it got, you know, and I was like, oh, what? It's Tuesday. Okay. So like trying to, yeah, it's hard to get it all, uh, you know, keep it in your head, but here we are, we're, we're back at it. So I felt like my batteries, I hopefully are recharged and we'll, uh, we'll move forward with that. want to thank, uh, Trader Joe's. They've been helpful. I was there a couple of times over the weekend, uh, picking up some supplies for our little, uh, neighborhood driveway gathering um you know your, your regular stuff uh, to pick up eggs actually it was uh, i had to run there just for one thing one time i because i needed eggs so i just ran over to trader joe's and picked those up but we got a lot of snacks and stuff for uh for our little gathering which was fun and so trader joe's has been very helpful uh during this quarantine i've just been my you know favorite shopping experience has definitely been going to trader joe's so we we thank all of them uh for you know doing that and everyone staying safe and they just really take uh, great care of you. So if you don't feel comfortable going to the store, I think you will uh, going to Trader Joe's. Um, but then we got some sad news uh, this morning. Also, we need to talk about before we jump into to kind of our regular topics. I don't know how well you knew uh, Christopher, but the, uh, I'm sure Diane did. Your, your wife did. Um, you know, longtime college football writer. Unfortunately, looks like he passed away last night. Yeah. 
a really, really, really good guy. Uh, unbelievably talented, um, funny, uh, just so creative in, in some of the things he did. He could be, he could, he could be funny, uh, but without kind of, you know, uh, today there's more of a meanness sometimes, and and when people kind of have fun with with certain topics and what have you but not that was never the case with Chris Chris just had fun uh, and he was right on the money he was so fair uh, and, and just a, a lovely talented person uh, the thought that you know you won't won't see him in the press box anymore is is really sad uh, but he was a uh, a great friend of college football uh, somebody who you know, it was as good as anybody writing about college football uh, in the country. Just a just a really really good guy. Um, yeah, it just uh, really sad to to hear that. That uh, and I know he had written not that long ago uh, with what was going on, and he'd had some health issues and that, and and with what was going on with COVID, that you know he was afraid that. There was a chance that maybe he'd never uh, either see or cover, uh, you know, a sporting event again. And um, you hate to say, you know, that that was prophetic almost, uh, but but that was just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it sounds like it, you know, happened kind of suddenly, but, uh, you know, just we're all going to miss him. He was uh, he was a treasure for Los Angeles, I think. And if you were involved in college football, especially if you were in Los Angeles, he was an absolute uh, treasure. Yeah, I remember talking to him at different Pac-12 media days. Probably that's where I would talk to him the most. But you would see him when we see him in the press box. It's a little hard. I mean, you can say hi and chat for a few minutes. But I, th- I felt like at Pac-12 media days, get a little bit longer time with him. And uh, yeah, he was great. Um yeah, you know, really unfortunate. Only sixty-two years old. It's uh, just really sad. Very much. Uh, he he will be really really missed. Uh, and uh, and all we can you know uh, prayers to the family and uh, to know that he'll be remembered and uh, and very much uh, and you know everybody's heart. Uh, and if you love college football, um, you loved uh, Chris uh, Chris Dufresne. Yeah. It, sometimes it gets uh, social media can just be a cesspool, but. Something like this happens, and to see some of the the great tributes in, in tweet form to uh, to Chris has been has been cool. So that's a it's a good way to to use that. So um, yeah, we we don't know any more details than that right now. So just wanted to let people know. You've probably read his stuff. Uh, you're you're a USC fan in Southern California. You've probably read uh, Chris in the LA Times back in the day. Um, all right. Well, we need to jump into things. We got questions, but I wanted to talk a little bit about. This train of optimism that we keep, you know, it, days are ticking by and it's going faster. Like it's hard to believe it's almost June um, where it seems like we talked about June as this faraway place. Well, we're almost at June now. Uh, we know that uh, the NCAA said that, you know, you can have these team activities. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about these hybrid models being used by college campuses where you could have some online instruction and some in-person instruction, which is you know, that would be one of the barriers if you wouldn't have any uh, in-person instruction. So it seems like hybrid things are the way to go. I believe uh, one of the universities did that during one of the hurricanes. I'd have to go. I forget exactly where it was, but um, uh, during, oh, it was a, uh, oh, for uh, Brookdale Community College in New Jersey after Hurricane Sandy in 2012, they actually used a hybrid model. Um, so it's been done before. 
Um, and we know places like Cal, uh, they're going to be able to, you know, they're saying they're able to come back. So I think that's, I mean, that's all positive for, you know, especially with the California schools. Um, and then, you know, uh, John Wilner, uh, Keely, maybe you want to mention what Wilner was talking about, but that the, he said that the presidents were going to uh, vote this week on having the, the organized team activities being able to return. But what, what did you read about that? Yeah, you pretty much said it. But yeah, John uh, reported that the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors uh, will vote on whether or not to lift or extend uh, the suspension of on-campus team activities. So whether or not uh, basically teams, not just football teams, but all athletic teams can come back to campus and practice. So that's something to look out for this week uh, on where they go, because it seems like everyone else is trending in that direction. And and we'll see if the Pac-12 is as well. Yeah. It's obviously that's very important, but it, everything that's happening, I think before people were saying things like, you're not going to do this for three months or you can't have this until then. And I'm not seeing much of that anymore, Dan. Now it's more about, okay, everything that's being said is sort of like, well, that would allow this to happen, you know, as, as opposed to making these declarations that that's never going to be able to happen. Yeah, I think the focus previously was on all the reasons why you couldn't do something. <laughs> and once people said, yeah, we're going to do it, it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we better figure about, you know, let's think about how would we do it? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues you got to decide, a whole, you know, ton of things that, that uh, you know, we've never had to deal with before. What was it? I think the Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said, Bowlesby just said, we're going to have to learn to live with it. You know, it's going to be there. And we've learned to live with other things, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to learn to live with it. I, I think it's interesting. You know, the NCA made the first move by saying you could bring, uh, you know, voluntary workouts, athletes back, uh, you know, starting at June 1st in uh, football and men's and women's basketball. And, um, you know, from there, I think, uh, oh, the uh, SEC, obviously, there was the question of they're going to bring them back as early as possible, the first or the latest kind of in the early bringing back is June 15th. Well, the SEC split it down the middle. They're, they're coming back June 8th. Uh, Ohio State's coming back June 8th. Uh, the Big 12 is coming back June 15th. So I think the clock is kind of ticking on the Pac-12, although I think Willner had an interesting point. He said, don't look for equity necessarily, meaning don't look for the Pac-12 to necessarily equal what the other conferences are doing, or don't let look for the Pac-12 to even um, you know, make it equal equivalent uh, between all the schools because he said you know for example you could see how in utah or uh, let's say utah uh, colorado and arizona might decide to go earlier than the three uh you know coastal school uh states would would go uh so you know how that how that's going to work I don't know that the Pac-12, it'd be interesting to see if the Pac-12 presidents say we're all going to come back or we all can come back by this certain date. Uh, And how specific do all of the conditions have to be for them to come back? Is everybody going to have to do the same kinds of things when it comes to social distancing and testing and you know, there's a lot of wild scenarios out there, you know, where the coaches all have to be masked. Well, the players have to be masked. Uh, you know, can you really, 
uh, you know, is it even safe to have guys masked when they're really exerting themselves? Uh, you know, there's not only a breathing issue, but a visual issue and all of that. So how you do all that, there are a lot of questions to be answered and how do you pay for it? Um, right now the PAC 12 has a, uh, you know, ballpark figure of that. It'll cost two and a half million dollars per program to do all the testing. But more recently, there have been advances where they, instead of testing everybody individually, you can do 10 at a time testing where you pull 10 tests together. And if there's, if it's negative, then you know all 10 of those uh, people whose tests were done are negative. And you only then have to individually test if, say, one of the groups of 10 shows a positive test. Then you've got to test each one of the 10 people individually. But that could mean, you know, instead of 250, uh, excuse me, instead of two and a half million, maybe you're only going to spend two, I say only, 250 or 300, uh, you know, thousand dollars a year instead of two and a half million. So that, you know, but, but stuff like that's happening like weekly. I mean, people are coming up with solutions to problems um, that uh, you didn't know, you know, there was going to be a solution for. So, but I think that the sooner they really get to it and figure all this out, the better. And that probably puts some pressure on USC to, you know, to get get things open. For example, in, in the SEC, all the football coaching staffs are back in their offices. I don't think that's the case with USC yet. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get all this done. Uh, you know, remotely, I think, at this point. I think, you know, schools are going to probably have to figure out ways to open up their campus before they maybe bring it, you know, bring back the athletes. But uh, uh, so this is going to be a kind of an interesting week to see how that, how the Pac-12 uh, presidents, CEOs, I guess they call them, uh, how they decide and what they decide and how specific. Or do they say each school, you're on your own, go get them. Because we haven't heard much from from Mike Bone with and, and Brandon Sosna yet in terms of what is USC planning to do in terms of how they're how they are going to you know feed the athletes and how the weight rooms are going to work and and what they're going to be allowed to do and are you going to be allowed to have uh, player run practices or not uh, and can they throw the football to one another and all that I don't know yeah we just don't know um, but. The good thing is, it seems like we're rolling in the the right direction. Now, could this train come crashing down at some point? Yeah, but I think at this, you know, we need to just, if you want to have college football this fall, certain things have to happen, and we're starting to see those things uh, happen, which is a which is a good thing. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Dan. I think one of the areas that you, they've really got to make a decision on is what happens if somebody tests positive, because that's probably going to happen. Uh, there's one school of thought that, uh-oh, uh, you know, you got to practice your first line, first offensive line and second offensive line separately. So if one guy tests positive, you can still play that week's game with the second offensive line. There are other people like Ohio State AD Gene Smith who just said, uh-uh, if we're going to do that, forget it. We shouldn't even try to play the season. Um, and that school of thought basically says if somebody comes down, tests positive, they get quarantined, but not the whole team. Uh, 
you would think you're going to have to come down in that direction, but I don't think the NCAA has made a, any kind of decision there, and I don't know that any of the conferences have, but I think that's a key decision because you can't have what happened with the, uh, like the NBA when one guy's, one or two guys, you know, get positive and the whole, you know, season is called off. Uh, that just can't happen. Uh, or, you know, do you even begin to start at that point? So it looks like that's going to be the, the decision would be you quarantine the player uh, who tests positive, but not necessarily you can't really quarantine his whole position group or his whole, you know, or the whole team. I mean, it just that that wouldn't be that just wouldn't make any sense at this point. Yeah. And uh, well, the other aspect of this that uh, Wilner was talking about, uh, make sure you check out his stuff. The Pac-12 hotline is a great uh, email you can get a couple times a week if you want to do that. Um, talking about the you know safety obviously being a big issue, but that uh, the coaches, the athletic directors, and the presidents, they all believe that being on campus is healthier. It's a healthier environment for what the, some players are going to experience uh, in their hometowns. And they said, like, would you rather at Utah, like, would you rather have a player working out at a gym in a strip mall in Salt Lake City or at the youth facility where you have, you know, there's people watching him uh, and everything he touches? Uh, you know, nutrition could be controlled for athletes who can't afford to eat healthy on their own. So in a lot of aspects, it's healthier that way. And even with the, with mental health, they're better off, you know, being on campus surrounded by teammates and coaches. So I think that's one of the points where, if you're arguing like, well, you're just bringing people back for money. Well, you're actually, you're, you're probably making it safer for the players and the athletes to return than letting them go out on their own for so long. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And I guess the other part of that is just the, uh, uh, the nutrition part of it, uh, you know, with getting guys you know, onto campus and, and being able to, you know, have kind of control over, you know, the kind of nutrition uh, I, I just think it's it's clearly, you know, a health and health and safety issue that is decided in the players' favor. I would think uh, for coming back uh, back to campus because I mean, all these schools have built built these wonderful facilities and they have great, you know, staffs of trainers and and you know physicians and you know uh, nutritionists and. You know all the weight weight people and what have you. Um, it just doesn't make any sense for them to be anywhere else than than on campus. Uh, you would think at this time. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that, Keely, or we can move on? No, I mean I think you mentioned the mental health aspect, Ryan, and I had heard from team sources that you know it's just been a really hard time for these players who their whole life they've been playing this sport. And they're away from their teammates. They're not playing what they're used to playing. So I think in, in that aspect, it's really important to just to get them in a familiar environment where they can get back to what they know. So I think, like you guys said, it's a better option to bring them back to familiarity and where you can kind of uh, control uh, the, the health options and the, the food options better than what they're dealing with right now. You know, I think it's, it's kind of one of the... Uh things that we haven't considered enough in the whole, you know, shutdown, uh, you know, against the, uh, you know, COVID-19 was at, at every level. I mean, from kindergarten kids up, uh, you know, the social distancing, you know, as much as necessary as it, as it may have seemed to have been uh, to keep kids apart, you know, not being able to, you know, be with their friends or their peers or, 
or kind of, you know, do the things you do in school and all of that, that can't be good for anybody. Uh, and the longer it goes on, I mean, I think the whole the whole mental health and, and social development part of this is, a, is something everybody's got to consider, not just, you know, for football teams. I think it, it matters to everybody. And uh, I think that's something that's, that's you just probably can't keep keep shut down forever and keep people apart forever. I mean, you know, everybody here knows that you would like to have much more, you know, contact with people. And, and it's, you know, it's not the same doing it on Zoom. It's just not. Yeah. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, all right. So that's good. I think, I mean, that's a big one for me just because if you can actually argue, Hey, look, this is better for the players is healthier for the players physically and mentally. That's going to open, you know, that that's going to, some of the barriers that people might want to shut down, you know, from the government or whatever, or from university presidents, I think that's a, a way to open things up more and allowing that to happen. All right. Uh, I got a couple voicemails. I know we got some questions. Keila, do you want to start with uh, some emails and we'll get to the voicemails after? Sure. Sounds good. Uh, we have an email from Oscar, class of 2012, who says, I've been listening to your podcast for years. Thanks for all your hard work and great content. I had a question about the O-line recruiting situation at USC. Lately, it seems as though we've been losing our fair share of head-to-head recruiting battles against Oregon for higher-ranked offensive linemen. Is Tim Dreveno a remnant of an old staff who isn't passionate about recruiting, or is Oregon's O-line staff just that good? Do recruits simply feel like they have they will be better developed in Eugene? Thanks again for all you do. Fight on, Oscar, class of 2012. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a really the whole O line issue uh, and where they're going to be this year and how how they're going to get coached up and how effective they're going to make you know this uh, what looks like uh, the makings of a, a really good offensive uh, attack. Uh, I think they've got to prove prove themselves. I mean, it, it you would have thought that it didn't hurt that they had a you know a first round draft pick this year. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Oregon's kind of the you know the the 
hot place to go for offensive linemen. I think they've emphasized it much more in recent years than USC has. USC just hasn't been seen as the place to go for offensive linemen. And that's USC's fault. I mean, that's uh, the recruiting fell off, the uh, the way they were utilized, the way they practiced, all the things that, that you need to do weren't happening on, on the, you know, the offensive line. I'll be honest, the first time I remember – USC football, and as much as the the tailbacks were you know great and winning Heisman trophies, the guys I looked at were, you know, were the offensive linemen, the Ron Yerys and the Anthony Munozes, and that that to me was USC football, and that kind of fell by the wayside I think recently, and um, and that's got to that's got to happen again, and uh, you know Tim has been here for in two different uh, you know time slots uh, as far as uh, that and I think he's going to have to really prove himself this year on the field and uh, you know as a recruiter. I think um, I think uh, you know the the target is on on Tim and and you know that and that's probably a good thing. I think they really need to come through uh, in both places because that's where uh, it looks like they've kind of evened things out in a lot of ways with uh, recruiting head to head with Oregon, but um, but that's uh, the offensive line. Oregon is, you know, convincing people that, hey, we're the place to go if you're an offensive lineman. And um, USC's got, I think, got to take that back from Oregon. Yeah, and, uh, you know, having an offensive lineman as your head coach, that probably helps too. Um, We actually had a voicemail question that kind of mentions offensive line recruiting. It's also, we have a a Curtis from Moreno Valley fan out there. So I'm going to play this uh, voicemail for you guys, and we'll talk about some uh, recruiting a little bit more. Hey, Ryan and Paris style crew. This is Sneaky Pete from Seattle. A quick shout out to Curtis from Moreno Valley. I've never met him, but that guy's what being a Trojan is all about. Positive and passionate. Hell, he's even got me believing we're going to beat Alabama. Now about recruiting, I'm tired of hearing about this year's class being bad. Listen, it's the highest rated class in the country for 13 or fewer signees. And it's loaded with O-line, our most needed position. Hell, if we had an elite line last year, with that offense we have, we're a playoff team. And next year's class is top four in the country. We're just getting rolling. Fight on. SP out. That's funny. So real quick, SP, and uh, we we can talk a little recruiting here. We're moved our, just a public service, our, our Gerard Martinez recruiting, we called it Trojan Blast. It's now Gerard's recruiting rant, which is he's just doing it on his own. Uh, we're not going to be taking questions through our normal channels here on the Peristyle podcast. So you would have to go to the Peristyle, uh, where you know, if you're a VIP member, you can post questions there. He's been doing it about once a week now. Really in-depth stuff. If you really love recruiting, Gerard's taking that over now. So we'll, we can touch on recruiting and stuff here. But for the, the main recruiting podcast, you have to be a VIP member, which you should always do anyway. Uh, but go check that out on the Peristyle, and you can submit your questions there. But but SP, yes, it was, it was this was the highest-rated class with 13 or fewer signees. It's the only one in FBS that was 13 or fewer signees. So it's the only one. It's also the lowest one, I guess you could say. Um, I mean, I think like Princeton and Montana State, they had 13 or fewer signees. But that's uh, – yeah, it's – it was a very bad recruiting class. I'm sorry. Whatever optimistic classes you want to look at, it was not a good recruiting class. This one, way better. They got rid of a bunch of coaches that didn't recruit. They brought in ones that could could recruit. And now you're seeing 
why that matters. So yes, this is a much better recruiting class 2021, but 2020, I'm sorry, it was it was terrible. It's the worst I've ever seen. Um, funny how that works, isn't it, Ryan? Uh, bring in a bunch of uh, enthusiastic, uh, competitive recruiters, and you recruit better. Wow, who would have thought? Huh? <laughs> it goes back to it's my amazing. theory of hiring people that are good at the jobs you want them to do. Like, uh, oh, people that are good at recruiting, hire good recruiters. Oh, and now you're recruiting better. Wow, that just makes so much sense. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, but there was more like having a better offensive line last year. Dan mentioned you had one, you know, you had a first round draft pick going last year. Uh, it, I don't think it was a great offensive line, but having like an all, you know, an all pack 12 offensive line like Oregon had, I don't think you would have been a playoff team. There were still defensive issues. There were still a lot of special teams issues. They're trying to address a lot of that stuff now, but I, I would say that's a little on the overly optimistic side. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't practice well enough. You know, I don't, you know, who knows how good they could have been. I don't think we'll ever know. But we know how good they couldn't be because of the way they practiced. You just can't can't practice like that and expect your offensive line to go out and be able to really dominate, um, you know, talented teams. It's just, you got to do it in practice, and they didn't do it in practice. And whose fault is that? Well, you know. If you were here last year and you're here this year, you got some uh, making up to do and you got some proving to do that. Okay, I get it. We got to do this. But, uh, you know, we've been talking about that for a long time. And uh, with the new emphasis uh, from the defensive guys on physicality and and getting after it. And we saw a little bit of that in the first practice in the spring with, uh, you know, with no pads. But uh, how that's going to work. I don't know. You'd like to see more, more of that coming from the offense where, you know, they demanded we're going to run a lot of goal line, live goal line today. We're going to bust it in there. We're going to, you know, I mean, I, I think one of the things we saw last year is they showed at the goal line, they could throw the ball at the goal line and we hadn't seen that as much. So they worked at it and they got good at it. Uh, I think they also need to be able to now show you that we can knock people down and push them back and, uh, and really get after them at the goal line. Yeah. Uh, well, so we have, uh, so Curtis is going to have like a little band of, of, uh, listeners, I think Keely to like come in and like support his. I think so. He's like started a brand. He has his own like tagline and everything. Well, he has a Twitter account now, people, so you can follow him. But although I I think Curtis does, Curtis have a brother in Seattle though. I'm just not sure. Uh. (laughs) You know. But Ryan, I think it's also worth mentioning, and you know this better than I do. Part of the reason why USC had so had to get so many offensive linemen in last year's class that were maybe three stars and not higher is because they they swung and missed on two past classes of really good offensive linemen where the recruiters for USC just couldn't get the job done. So it was a product of their their mistakes uh, that they had to take so many offensive linemen and three star offensive linemen in last year's class. Yeah, I mean that's I don't know why Keely has to go so negative on you guys, but that's, <laughs> she's right. Uh, no, that is true. No, we've, we've talked about this a bunch and there was, it's not always about, well, what are you doing right now? Why was this class this size? Why did you bring in six offensive linemen? None of them being ranked very high. Well, because of the failures from the years prior and you talk, you know, the other question talking about how Oregon recruited. Well, um, you got guys like Penny Sewell that went to Oregon. If, if Penny Sewell was going to come through in the class of 2021 or 22, I think USC would have a lot better shot to get a guy like that with the recruiters that they have on board. So 
Um, there's yeah, there was certainly failures that have happened the prior years. And then those kind of that kind of bubbles forward to the point where you had to get this offensive line heavy recruiting class, but none of them were like these highly recruited guys. And you get six of them all in one shot and you only get 13 guys overall and your, your top ranked, you know, quarterback ends up decommitting and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there was a lot of failures had to come together. Plus the five and seven season, all of that had to kind of uh, come together for that one really terrible class of 2020. Uh, It just was bad. I'm sorry, SP, but it was just a really bad class. This one's looking a lot better for the most part. USC recruits really well. There was two down seasons uh, one like a 20th rank class and the other one like in the 50s, which we've never seen anything like that before. But you can't ignore it. So we're not ignoring that. But going forward, they're recruiting so much better now. It's it's like night and day. Yeah, that that the bad class was almost the kind of class you recruit when everybody's going to get fired. And as it turned out, they didn't right away. But, um, you know, that was... That, that's kind of how if the, the coach ends up not coming back and nobody's all that interested in doing much of anything other than finding their next job. That's kind of what it looked like. And then every almost everybody came back, which was kind of the, the really weird deal that was going on that that everybody survived five and seven and that recruiting class. And, uh, you know, man. Yeah. Well, we have right, a team. Sorry, I was just going to move on to our next email, if that's cool with you. Sure. Uh, it's Stephen Poway. He says, I understand that proposed changes to the current rules around allowing players to get paid for their name, image, and likeness may favor USC in recruiting. So that's great. But how is this entire movement not opening up a huge Pandora's box of problems, forever blurring the lines between amateur and professional sports and changing the face of college football to include the haves and has nots? and also creating a huge undue influence by large corporate sponsorships and possible conflicts of interest, as indicated by Coach Harvey Hyde's confusion about USC players being able to endorse Adidas shoes. Among other concerns, isn't this a huge step toward uh, basically paying players to play football, even if the quote-unquote payer is not the university, but a third party with very deep pockets and huge influence? And in the end, players like Reggie Bush eventually get to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness anyway. Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman had an athletic director from North Carolina on their podcast who made some very good arguments against this entire movement, but it seems like he's one voice against many. Steve and Poway. Yeah, I mean, I think that the problem is something's going to happen. I mean, it's been happening. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just uh, – I covered the University of Kentucky basketball when they – they got themselves in, into so much trouble. But part of that was the NCAA. I mean, it's hard for people even to believe this, but back in the day, um, uh, college basketball players got four season tickets for themselves. Well, if you were at the University of Kentucky, you could auction those season tickets off. And, uh, at that time, they were basically sold out every single game for every season. So, these guys would come in, they would have advisors telling them what the best way to uh, sell their four season tickets, which would be worth, you know, many thousands of dollars. And then the NCAA, well, you can't do that anymore. You got to, you can only ask for tickets for each game and they got to go to a relative or whatever and they got to sign for it and all that. So they, they stopped some of that kind of stuff that they were allowing. Well, that just cause people to do other things that, uh, you know, would get uh, money to the players. And, uh, you know, 
now the NCA is going to have to come up with some ways of regulating this. The problem is, I don't think anybody trusts the NCA to come up with, uh, you know, do they put it in a trust fund? Do they put limits on it? Uh, does it have to be completely separate from the recruiting process? Um, and then does that pass the legal muster? For example, if the NCA says, okay, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do that. And immediately somebody take them, takes them to federal court and says, you can't tell us that. That's not, and the federal you know, judge says, no, you can't. I mean, I think if I'm the athletic director at North Carolina, I don't blame him for saying, man, I don't, I don't like the way this is going. Uh, if I were him, I wouldn't like a lot of other things that have happened at the University of North Carolina in football and basketball and, uh, you know, in over the years. Uh, but uh, I don't know that there's a really good answer, but I don't, I think the players ought to be able to, to get some kind of, you know, compensation. We've seen players at USC that, you know, didn't have uh, a decent amount of money to go get, um, you know, uh, if they were living off campus and didn't have decent amount of money to, uh, you know, go get food and all that kind of thing. So um, uh, something has to happen. I'm not sure I'm confident that the NCA can get it right. And, um, you know, there's so many pressures at this point, whether it's going to be a competitive advantage for USC and LA, uh, or is it going to be a competitive advantage for some big school in a small town in a state that doesn't have any pro sports and they're crazy about, you know, their college uh, football team? I don't know which way that's going to cut, but uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, you know, are players going to be allowed to be represented by somebody who? you know, helps them. And then, you know, where does the line become between you? You know, it used to be if you had an agent, you were immediately not eligible for college football or college basketball. Now what happens? Are, are you going to be allowed to have a financial advisor or whatever? There's a whole lot of questions and not nearly so many answers. Yeah. And it's, it definitely could open up a Pandora's box of problems, but I think it's a, I mean, I think you have to do it. I think there's, you can't just allow this, you know, the, the way we've limited what student athletes can do, I mean, they can't even work. There's just so much, so many limitations on their lives. You have that UCLA gymnast that was, you know, nailing perfect tens and getting millions of views on social media. And like, she can't make any money off that. Like that just doesn't, that's just not the American way. So yes, it's going to change the way things are going. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to, re, you know, I think things will get recalibrated. You'll probably might make some mistakes and fix some things and do what you can. But I, I, I'm always in, in favor of being able to help the student athletes. So uh, this is a, I think this is going to be a, a step in the right direction. Uh, will it lead to a whole bunch more stuff? Is it a slippery slope? Probably, but um, we got to at least take this, this first step and then kind of see where it goes from there. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the interesting things will be, for example, the shoe contracts, you know, coaches have been making millions of dollars off of making their players wear their, the shoes, the shoe brand that they uh, have a contract with. What happens if the shoe? What, what happens if a kid coming out of high school gets a shoe contract and says, "Coach, I'm wearing whatever," and the coach says, "But, but, but I'm getting money to make you wear my shoes." I don't, I don't, I don't know. How's that go? I don't know. How do you? What do you think? Is it going to be like the NBA where every player is going to have his own deal and get to wear his own shoes, or you still going to have to wear? You know, the Nikes or the Adidas or Under Armour or whatever that has the deal with the school or with the coach. I don't know. 
It's going to be yeah. interesting. Uh, it definitely will be. Um, we uh, Speaking of like the cost of things, uh, we had a question, a voicemail question about uh, scholarship costs. I'll play it for you. Hi, this is Bill from Connecticut. I'd like to know what is the dollar value of a full football scholarship at USC? I imagine it's over $100,000. What does the full ride include? And does that package vary among Division One schools? Again, thank you. Good luck for your show. I enjoy it. Bye. Well, um, I think USC, I'm not sure if they've put an, uh, a, a, a dollar value because I think you can say, oh, it's the 67000 whatever, and then it's, uh, you know, for tuition, room and board. Or, you know, if you live off campus and they give you a, a prorated, um, you know, check every month, uh, which probably goes a lot farther in, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama than it does in Los Angeles. And um, so that's one way USC students get hurt. I know they add in what would it cost to have all the kinds of training facilities and all the kinds of, you know, medical and trainer and whatever. And I do think it gets easily over $100,000 a year uh, for for what it would be worth uh, to an athlete and, you know, the tutors and all the other stuff that 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 they get and all the you know, transportation here, there and wherever and and if you had to pay for all that yourself in order to uh, you know develop your talents in football uh, but uh, is it different and different you know obviously uh, state sco- school scholarships for in-state kids aren't going to cost you nearly as much I know there there are people who say it's not exactly for example if USC puts two more football players in a class it doesn't cost them any more to run that class so is it just kind of a paper track transaction between the athletic department and the school? You know, does it, how much does it really cost the school uh, to add those uh, additional athletes to, to classes all over, you know, all over the campus. Uh, but, you know, that's what the athletic department gets charged, uh, you know, full freight uh, for those, uh, those scholarships. So they've got to pay, you know, the full, you know, tuition room and board, but um, um you know, I'd certainly say more than $100,000 a year is probably what, you know, the value of it is to a, a, an athlete at this point in time. I yeah. know in we're talking to recruits, I think uh, this is probably not accurate, but the, the pitch they give recruits is that it's a million dollar uh, like expenditure for them in the sense of that uh, the education, the Trojan family connections, the facilities, uh, the classes, you know, so the pitch they give to parents is that they, they do some type of like math adding where they're like, it's worth a million dollars. So I know that's not an accurate uh, estimation, but that's definitely the recruiting pitch that they give to, to prospects when they come yeah. on their visits. Yeah. Yeah. I think I could go a half a million without, you know, kind of having to, suppress a grin uh the million probably you know maybe for some kids it obviously is but you you really gotta you know make that work for you uh with the you know the connections and all the other things but yeah if they charge you full full boat for the uh rental of the uh the weight facility and the use of the private coaches and all the other stuff that goes into that i mean however you would wanted to calculate that 
I guess you could get up to a million dollars, but uh, uh, it's I'm probably, not sure I would use that number. <laughs> it's probably like a five-year thing, and then so it'll be two hundred thousand a year is what they're going for, as opposed to you know a hundred. And like you said, Dan, including all that kind of other stuff in there. But if you're gonna like, we're you're paying for the connections that you would get for being part of the Trojan family. Like, okay, is there some value you put on that? Like, I don't know. Like, what the obviously they did. Um, so probably a little liberal with the numbers, I guess, but you know, it's, it's recruiting. You're making some kind of pitch. It's like sales. Yep, exactly. Uh, should we move on to our final question, Ryan? Yes, let's do it. It's from our buddy, Dan class of 1962 who said, hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keely. I agree with Ryan about the use of, of the hybrid model for university teaching in the fall. We talked about this on the podcast last week, uh, just as many, uh, just as with many other work environments, if you can practice safety and you can work on site. If you have a large gathering of 300 student lecture halls, then do it online. The athletic department has control of the work environment for players. They can do testing, contact tracing, and limit contact. They can shower after practices and sanitize facilities. They can even wear face masks under their helmets. Many players already use face shields. Swimming is in a chlorinated pool. Track and field has distance built into the activities. And basketball could develop face shields like they use when someone breaks a nose or needs protection. Universities are supposed to be... uh, are supposed to do research and be innovative. Uh, so put the brain power to work to solve the COVID-19 problem. And it could be developing good health practices to protect all diseases in the future, like colds and flus. By the way, I taught some of the first online courses for Los Angeles area university, and I would much rather teach and learn online than try to find a parking place on campus for a 7 PM class. Fight on and win Dan class of 1962. Yeah. All good points, Dan. I mean, there are though, there are suggestions that, uh, uh, at least in the uh, at the in the beginning, players aren't going to be allowed to shower. Um, so you know, the, go home and you know shower at home. I don't know how far they're going to you know take some of this, but um, but you you hear some of these uh, you know fairly uh, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, just almost trying to be so safe at the beginning. I mean, the idea that, okay, you can't pass a foot, you can't have a football there because you might throw it back and forth and that wouldn't be sanitary or after practice, you can't take a shower or, you know, one of the best ones I I heard and I, I got it going in a column is that you would have to social distance team meetings. And one way of doing that is you would have the team, uh, you'd practice in the stadium have the team in the stadium where you've got, you know, for a hundred guys, you've got plenty of room to social distance and you conduct the meeting on the video board. So you do it from the coaches would be on the video board, talking to their players sitting in the stadium so that there is all the social distancing in the world uh, if you'd want it. And so, you know, they're coming up with some way out suggestions right now. Yeah. We're you, don't the crazy like that stuff. One, you don't like that? Uh, <laughs> you the video board and <laughs> for team um, meetings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's gonna. I mean, I think we're gonna get there. I think we're gonna get the right solution, but there's gonna be a lot of bad suggestions along the way that you kind of <laughs> have to you know sift through. Yeah, it's although okay. I, it's interesting. You know? 
And, and for example, last week, Ohio State uh, AD Gene Smith, who's like number one probably in the nation in terms of, you know, power and impact and, you know, calling his shots and all that. He said they did a social study, so, uh, social distancing study for Ohio Stadium, 102,000 seat stadium. And they came up with like 20 or 22,000 people at a home game. Now, I just got a, a, a note from somebody who sent out what the Iowa State AD just sent out. They have a 60,000-seat stadium at Iowa State, and their solution puts 30,000 people in that stadium. So, you know, they've come up with a different formula. So in a 60,000-seat Iowa State stadium, they're going to get more people than, they, than Ohio State says they're going to be able to get into a 102,000-seat stadium. So there are a whole lot of problems to be solved and and different answers that people are going to come up with but uh it's uh there's not a lot of time to get all this figured out i mean uh, that's where i think usc and the pac-12 cannot dawdle at this point in time you've got to get doing it you know now if something comes up and you eventually something happens and you can't do what you thought you were going to do you can't be waiting till then to start figuring out how are we going to do it? You got to be figuring out how to do it now. And then, you know, just assume that it's going to happen until something tells you it's not going to happen. But, uh, I don't think there's time to waste at this point. No, got to get rolling. So hopefully we can get rolling, do it safely and, uh, get this college football stuff going. But I can't believe it's almost June guys. It's like, that's crazy. Where did the time go? (laughs) Crazy, crazy. Uh, all right. Do we have anything else, Keely, or is that it? That's it. All Short right. show today. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, get, 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 uh, try to get back in the swing of things. So we'll do a short show coming in. But keep sending in those questions. Oh, uh, Keely, were there any new um, Apple podcast uh, reviews? There are. You're catching me on the spot. But I am I was prepared, but my phone just refreshed it. So I can't tell you, but there were some new reviews. So thank you to everyone who did that. <laughs> Nice. I could try to pull it up real quick and see, but, um, yeah, those are, uh, we appreciate those cause they're fun. They, uh, really help grow the show. Yeah, we have. Okay. So we got one from Trojan of the last frontier who said the premier USC podcast that continues to get better all the time. The kind of podcast that makes you forget you are at work and then it ends and you need more. So thank you to Trojan of the last frontier. Um, and many travelers said, longtime listener, new subscriber to the site. If you want info and accurate info, Ryan and his crew have you covered from talks with the coach, funny banter between Keely and Shotgun, plus the bonus recruiting, recruiting podcast from Gerard. This podcast is gold, and the site is worth the measly couple bucks a month. Fight on, Trojan family. So there you go. Oh, nice. Well, thank you for those. We appreciate those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we appreciate Dan and Keely. We appreciate you guys being on the show. And uh, hope you both are staying safe. Trying yep. the best. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone else for listening out there to the Peristyle Podcast. We're gonna actually have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde on tomorrow. So if you hear this and you got some last minute questions for the coach and myself, uh, feel free to send us an email or, like I said, post on the uh, the podcasting app on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to read those there too. So so thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.